We suddenly heard a hiss. It sounded like a large pressure leak. And before we could even get the words out of our mouths, what was that? There was a tremendous explosion. I don't know how else to describe it except that way. If you're watching television or the movies and you see an explosion being reenacted, bodies being thrown in the air or thrown down, and that's exactly what happened to us. These were the words of Laura Brentlinger, a flight attendant and survivor of the United Airlines Flight 811 accident, which saw at least nine passengers being ripped out of a plane over the Pacific Ocean, never to be seen again. Welcome back to Air Scare Stories. Today I'll be telling the story of one of the most terrifying airline accidents of all time, the explosive decompression of United Airlines Flight 811. In the 1980s, United Airlines offered a long-haul, regularly scheduled passenger flight from Los Angeles International Airport in California to Sydney Airport in Australia, with their immediate stops at Honolulu International Airport in Hawaii and Auckland Airport in New Zealand. On the 24th of February 1989, a Boeing 747 delivered to United Airlines almost 20 years earlier, in November 1970, was going to be used for such a trip. This plane had never been involved in any incidents or accidents, which would have put the minds of the passengers at ease knowing that the plane they were sitting in had a stellar safety record. Not that anyone can usually tell if the plane they're boarding has ever been involved in an accident, but you get the idea. The first leg of the trip from LA to Hawaii was uneventful. On arriving at Honolulu, there was a standard crew change, and on handing the plane over to the new crew, the previous crew reported that there were no issues or difficulties with the plane. Captain David Cronin, the new captain for the flight, was on his penultimate, or next-to-last, scheduled flight before his retirement. In his long career, he'd logged an impressive 28,000 flight hours in total, with 1,600 hours being logged on Boeing 747s. He was being assisted by First Officer Gregory Slater, who had logged 14,500 flight hours, and Flight Engineer Randall Thomas, who had around 20,000 hours. This is no doubt a capable crew, and the rest of the flight was going to be just as peaceful and uneventful as the first leg. Obviously not, or I wouldn't be making this video. The Boeing 747 took off from Honolulu International Airport with 337 passengers and 18 crew members on board just before 2 p.m. local time. As the plane climbed up to its cruising altitude, everything was normal in the cabin, with the passengers safely in their seats waiting for the seatbelt light to go off. But up in the cockpit, the crew had noticed thunderstorms along the plane's intended route during the climb, so they decided it would be best to keep the seatbelt light on so that no one would be injured. By now the plane had been flying for close to 17 minutes, and the passengers were wondering why the seatbelt light had been on for so long. But nothing bad had happened yet, so there was no cause for worry. At least until... Suddenly, a loud thud was heard, which briefly shook the plane, and then, about a second and a half later, the forward cargo door blew open and was instantly torn off the plane. Unfortunately, it also took a big chunk of the right side of the fuselage with it. Because there's such a big difference in pressure between a pressurized airplane cabin and the ambient pressure at 23,000 feet above sea level, when the side of the fuselage was torn open, it caused the cabin floor to collapse and 11 passenger seats to be ripped from their fastenings and ejected through the hole in the side of the plane. Unfortunately, nine out of those 11 seats were occupied, which resulted in the deaths of these passengers high above the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Due to the high altitude at which the decompression occurred, as well as the aerodynamic forces acting on the exterior of the fuselage, the area of the missing portion of the cabin acted like a vacuum ready to suck out anything that got too close to it. Because of that, the flight attendants, who had already gotten out of their seats when the explosion happened, were now hanging on to anything they could for dear life. The most notable of these was Laura Brentlinger, whose words you heard at the beginning of this video. 
she was basically hanging from the steps leading to the upper deck cabin. In a video interview, she said that she was hanging onto the spiral staircase as tightly as she could and that her feet were literally lifted off the ground, being pulled toward the hole in the fuselage. She calls it flag time because she felt like a flag on a pole during a windstorm. Back in the business class cabin, another flight attendant, Mei Sopolu, was also holding on for dear life, but this time to the leg of one of the seats. She was so close to being blown out of the plane that a handful of passengers and crew risked their own lives to get up and go pull her back to safety. She was gravely injured when she was pulled back in, but at least she still had her life. The cockpit crew at this time were still oblivious to what was happening in the passenger section. They'd heard and felt the large explosion, but they could never have fathomed what was actually happening back there. The most logical explanation in their minds was that a bomb had gone off. Given the fact that Pan Am Flight 103 had been blown up over Lockerbie, Scotland just two months earlier, it wasn't really that wild a guess. Regardless, they'd already started taking measures to regain control of the situation. They performed a 180-degree turn back to Honolulu and began an emergency descent in an attempt to get the plane down to an altitude where the air was breathable for the passengers and crew. This turned out to be a really good move, as the explosion had damaged the onboard emergency oxygen supply system, which coincidentally was located in the same area as the cargo door. The pilots later realized the system was damaged when they tried to use their own oxygen masks but found them to be useless. Back in the passenger section, they'd started to notice that the plane was going down. Some passengers and crew members understood that this was a standard emergency descent procedure, but that didn't stop them from wondering if there was actually any chance of landing and surviving this terrible ordeal. One passenger even started to take pictures just in case they crashed into the ocean in the hopes that investigators would find the camera and that the pictures could be of some use to them in trying to determine what had happened to the plane. To make matters even worse, engines number three and four, the ones on the right side of the plane, had been damaged by all the debris being ejected from the aircraft during the explosion. The pilots realized that the right-hand engines were damaged and that engine number three was actually experiencing heavy vibration. The crew had no choice but to shut it down. With one engine down and another one damaged, they declared an emergency and realized that they had to find a way to lose weight if they were going to have any chance of landing. I mean, they had to make the plane lighter, not that they were too fat, you get it. Remember, they had just taken off from Honolulu, so they pretty much had full tanks of gas on board when the decompression occurred. So the crew started dumping fuel to reduce their landing weight. At this point, one would expect things to get better, but no, things still got worse. Engine number four now started spooling up and down and shooting flames, so they had to shut it down as well. Beyond the challenges with the engines, the debris had also damaged the leading edge of the plane's right wing and vertical stabilizer, and actually dented the right horizontal stabilizer. It soon became apparent to the cockpit crew that they needed to make sure everyone in the plane was well prepared for this landing because it was not going to be a walk in the park. So Captain Cronin sent the flight engineer back into the passenger cabin to ask the flight attendants to prepare for an emergency landing. He first tried to reach them via the intercom, but wasn't able to make contact. The site flight engineer Thomas was met with shook him to his core. He never in his life had expected to see the plane in such a damaged and chaotic state. As soon as he stepped out of the cockpit, he could see that the aircraft's skin had literally peeled off in some areas of the upper deck, revealing its framework and stringers. The damage only got worse the further down he went. When he finally reached the lower deck, he saw the huge gaping hole in the side of the cabin and quickly ran back to the cockpit to tell the captain and first officer. However, he and the crew were still convinced that a bomb had gone off in the plane. Considering the extensive damage he'd seen, he suggested that they try to maintain as slow an airspeed as possible to minimize any further damage caused by the onrush of wind, saying that that could end up being catastrophic. As they got closer to the airport, the crew extended the landing gear but could only partially deploy the flaps because of the damage they'd sustained. 
This meant that they'd have to land at a faster speed than usual, that is, around 190 to 200 knots. In the passenger section, some of the flight attendants were worried because even though they knew they were about to land, they hadn't been able to hear the landing gear being extended. When the plane finally touched down, however, they all sighed in relief until they realized that the plane wasn't slowing down. This scared them all over again as they now feared that they were going to overrun the runway and end up in the water anyway. But luckily, the captain did eventually succeed in stopping the plane just short of overrunning the runway. Less than 45 seconds after bringing that plane to a stop, every single person was off it. No one wanted to stay on that plane for one second longer than they had to. When Captain Cronin got off the plane, he couldn't believe that they'd been flying in a plane with that big a hole in it. Other than the nine passengers who were ejected from the plane, all the remaining passengers were unscathed, with the exception of some minor injuries. However, all of the flight attendants were injured, ranging from superficial scratches to a dislocated shoulder to a cervical neck fracture. Extensive air and sea searches were carried out, but no remains of any of the passengers were ever found. A disturbing discovery was, however, made in engine number three. Small body fragments and pieces of clothing were found in it, indicating that at least one of the passengers who were ejected from the plane had been ingested by the engine. As horrifying as it sounds, this is not something out of a movie. It's an experience one or more of the nine passengers may have gone through after they were blown out of the plane. The National Transportation Safety Board immediately began a full investigation into the accident. They considered similar events that had occurred involving cargo doors of other planes in the past. On reviewing all the available evidence, which didn't include the actual cargo door in question since it was at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, the NTSB concluded that the cargo door had blown open due to human error. They assumed that if the cargo door had been properly latched, it would have been impossible for it to have opened mid-flight. They believed that if the door lock sectors were in proper condition, and that if they were properly situated over the closed latch arms, they were strong enough to prevent the cams from moving to the open position, either during ground operation or in flight. In their conclusion, they stated, the accident was preventable human error and not a problem inherent in the design or function of the aircraft's cargo door. Kevin and Susan Campbell, a couple who lost their son, Lee Campbell, in the accident, disputed this conclusion. They believed the accident was caused by a combination of electrical faults and inadequate design of the 747's cargo door. They believed that the outward hinging doors that were on the 747's were flawed and needed to be addressed given the many warnings and deaths from the similar DC-10 accidents. See this video here if you're interested in that story. These outward hinging doors increased cargo capacity but required strong locking mechanisms to keep them secured, which they found to be deficient in the 747's designs. They argued that the locking sectors of the cargo doors were made out of aluminum, which was simply too thin and weak to keep the latch cams from moving into the unlocked position. They also argued that although the doors came with switches that cut electrical power to the cargo door actuators and the outer handle when it was closed, if any of the switches were faulty, the motors could still draw power and thus open during flight. These arguments were valid, and Boeing had actually realized this problem as early as 1975. They realized that their aluminum locking sectors were too thin to be effective, and recommended that doublers were added to these locking sectors by the airlines. Unfortunately, this wasn't treated with any real urgency until the 1987 Pan Am Flight 125 incident just two years before this one. After that Pan Am incident, the FAA in the United States mandated that all airlines ensure these doublers were installed on their 747 cargo doors and gave them 18 to 24 months to complete it. After this United Airlines accident, the airlines were given just 30 days to comply. 
It seemed as though the investigation had been concluded and the case of the Campbells was ignored and forgotten until about six months after the NTSB's official report in April 1990 when the two halves of the cargo door were found. They were recovered from the floor of the Pacific Ocean at a depth of about 14,000 feet on September 26th and October 1st, 1990. The case was reopened based on the recovered evidence and the original assertions of the NTSB were found to be inaccurate. Instead, the hypotheses of the Campbells were found to be correct and supported by the recovered evidence. The NTSB now stated that the probable cause of the accident was the sudden, uncommanded opening of the cargo door. They said that this could have occurred due to the door's poor design and improper wiring denoting an electrical fault. They also said that a short circuit caused an unordered rotation of the latch cams, forcing weak locking sectors in the door to distort and allow rotation, which enabled the pressure differential and aerodynamic forces to blow the door off the fuselage. This ripped away the hinge fixing structure, cabin floor, and the side fuselage skin, leading to the explosive decompression. In other words, it was not human error as they had originally assumed, but a design flaw, and this terrifying accident could have been avoided if the authorities and plane manufacturers had been more diligent and less complacent with their outward opening cargo door designs. It's sad. If you liked this video and want to help me so I can keep making new ones, please consider donating on Patreon. I would be so grateful. Is there an aviation story you'd like me to cover? Leave it in the comment section below. Thanks so much for watching, and I'll see you on the next Air Scare Stories.